Well, uh, we're going to begin in Genesis 2, uh, and then we will do what I almost never do when I teach. We're going to bounce around a lot through the Bible today, but I'll tell you why here in just a few minutes. We are in the middle of a series right now called Find the Melody, Living in Harmony with God, because we've kind of come to this conclusion that if you, if you start at the beginning of the Bible, get to the end of the Bible, and if you talk to enough people, you start to realize that there are these patterns that you can kind of expect, these, these predictable moments, and that if, if we were paying attention if you think of God's work as a song, uh, if you're paying attention, then it starts to be the same melody repeating itself from time to time all the way through that. He's really hitting the same notes as he goes. And your greatest satisfaction in life will be whenever your life is in harmony with what God is going to do. Uh, and your greatest discontentment and dissatisfaction is whenever you're like, no, I want to play my own song. I want to do my own thing. And so we've been for the, next, the last few weeks kind of processing that. What does that look like? And I, I just think that if you're going to live a life of harmony, it's going to be because you find the melody, you find your part in the melody, and you just play your part and you kind of roll with it. And so we've looked at this and we've started to look at different seasons of life in the last week and the week before that that seasons come and go. Uh, we, we opened Ecclesiastes, if you were here that week, and just saw that there's a time for mourning, there's a time for joy, there's a time for dancing, there's a time for war, there's a time for everything under the sun. The author says that, that if we were wise, we would have our eyes up and just say, oh, this is one of those hard seasons that I was told about. Oh, this is one of those awesome seasons I should have been expecting along the way. And then we learn to worship God in the ups and the downs of it. And so what I want to do this week is, uh, and this week and next week, is that in every life, there are seasons that are unique. Like you will go through and you may be the only person you know that goes through a situation quite like that. But then there are really predictable seasons that we could probably teach on. Uh, I would be wise as a pastor, if I'm going to teach a series like this, to think through some predictable seasons. And I just want to talk today about the seasons that we would be around singleness, being single and being married, being in a relationship. So singleness and marriage is what I want to talk about today, because these are, these are predictable seasons that we can go through and to find the melody in that would help us live in harmony. So uh, you, may, you may know this, I'm married. My, my wife, Ashley, is over here. We've been married uh, this month 15 years, which is a lot of years, right? Uh, some of you are like, you're just a baby. And some of you are like, holy cow, that's forever. Uh, we're all over the place in this room. Um, when, when I decided uh, I need to marry this woman as fast as possible, uh, I, I, I went and I bought a ring uh, and I put it in my pocket. Now, uh, if, you, if you are married, if you are a guy, there are, you already know what I'm about to say. But for those of you who this may not make sense, I'm going to key you in on something. Us guys, who look like nothing phases us and we're never nervous and we're just like, we're super confident. You put an engagement ring in that guy's pocket and he's a nervous wreck for months, okay? And so I have this ring burning a hole in my pocket trying to figure out just the best time to pop the question. And so we worked it out. We have, uh, we lived in Dallas at the time. Uh, we have some friends that are gonna come visit us and so these are really close friends and this would be a good time for that as a real special moment. Um, there's a restaurant in Dallas that the name escapes me. I don't, I don't remember, but... If you look at the Dallas skyline, there's that big tower with the ball on top. If you, I don't know, we're so far from Dallas, like three of you know what I'm talking about. But there's a restaurant inside that ball, okay? And inside that ball, this restaurant spins at every 15 minutes, it faces a different compass direction. So being the romantic that I am with a ring burning a hole in my pocket, I arrange secretly that, hey, you know, what do you guys think about going to that restaurant? That'd be pretty nice. Because I'm going to pop the question like facing due north or something. I don't know where, what direction I was going to face. Uh, but we're going to go into this 
this restaurant. I chose this restaurant because uh, Ashley and I had gone there on a date when we first moved to Dallas. And the fun thing about this restaurant, and this is a warning if you ever go visit it, the ball doesn't spin. The walls don't spin. It's just the floor that spins, which will help you when you're trying to figure out where to place your purse. Because Ashley placed her purse on the windowsill right next to her. And like 30 minutes later, where's my purse? And it's like at this other table down the restaurant. It just slowly moved away from her. And it was so, so uh, inconspicuous. So this was a special place with some humor. And we decided to go. And uh, we, go, we, we, we get ready. We have a long day. The whole day is planned because that, that night we're going to go to this special restaurant. I'm going to propose And that night, Ashley and our friends were exhausted because none of them knew that this was like a big moment for me. Uh, But they're like, I'm so tired. I don't want to drive into downtown Dallas. It's such a thing. Let's go to Denny's. I'm like, no, let's not go to Denny's. I don't want to go to Denny's. This is a terrible place. And everybody was like a vote. I'm like, you guys are terrible. A vote happened. We went to Denny's. Now, This ring's got to go somewhere. (laughs) I've got to get this thing off of me as fast as possible because I'm going to have an anxiety attack. But being as smart as I am, I am not going to propose at Denny's. And so it just burns the hole in the pocket. The next day, uh, we had planned to go to Six Flags. And somewhere between the drop of terror and the the waffle cones, I popped the question in a completely unplanned place. We, we, uh, she said yes, by the way, and it's, it's worked out. Uh, thank you. (laughs) Nobody's a surprise. Surprised as I am, Darren. Uh, and, and 15 years of marriage, uh, I, I, I've learned a few things uh, about marriage, but not everything, as you would suspect. Uh, I know this about myself. I, I would make a terrible single person. I, I talk to enough young people today, especially a student pastor of like, you know, the dating scene. Like, I don't understand this whole, like, we're going to get online and we're going we're gonna to talk. Like, if I had to date that way, I would, I would just be a monk somewhere. I just don't know how it works. If you're in the dating scene right now, I just tell you it's different than what it was was, um, but I, I don't think I would make it. I, I'm thankful to be married. Uh, marriage is a thing that you take some vows at one point, and those vows in that moment are like, they're aspirational, you, you hope to, and then, and, then, and then you have to work, and it's, it's sometimes easy and sometimes hard. The, the hardest part of our marriage uh, is, is definitely, I'll say my fault, but it's more medical than that, is that my 20s, I wrestled with clinical depression, and I was just a vegetable uh, most of that time. Probably pretty frustrating, probably harder to love and sometimes than others, but, you know, she stayed with me, and we saw through it. I'm, I'm telling you as uh, someone who's going to talk about marriage and singleness for the next few minutes that... Um, I come to it in a place of thankfulness. I come to it in a place knowing that these are seasons that they go up and down, that marriages, they go to good places, they go to hard places. Singleness. There's so many different ways to be single. Some of us, I mean, we all start single. None of us are married, but then, then we're married, then, then we can be divorced, and that's a different kind of singleness. And we can be widowed or widowers. That's, that's a different kind of singleness. And what I want to make the case for is this. There is not a season of marriage or singleness of any flavor of any category that your Lord is not already aware of. There is not a season of singleness and marriage that your Lord cannot guide you through, that you uh, can worship. You can find the melody, to keep with our theme of this series, you can find the melody in whatever season you find yourself in, and you'll find the most harmony in that. So what I want to do is, um, because of the nature of this topic, we're going to bounce to a lot of different passages, um, and, and you can keep up if, if, if you want. If you have a hard time finding it, it will be on the screens behind me. But I want to start with Genesis 2 um, and look at the 
this uh, idea of marriage that uh, some some people, young people, um, there's this there's this new flavor of young person of you know what I'm never going to get married, and then you ask them well, why it's like well marriage is. Whew, it's a it's a whole thing. It's it's bad. It's hard. It's difficult. It's broken. Uh, young people have this experience, uh, and I say young people. I think it's like anybody like twenty five and under. There's like this sense of I don't know if I want that. Can I tell you something about marriage? Marriage is a gift given to us people by God. God created marriage, and so Genesis two uh, is important. One uh, because it's in the Bible. Uh, two, uh, it, this is before. If you're following along with the narrative of the Bible. This is before the fall, okay? And so if, if I can just paint this picture real quick, the, the, the story arc of the Bible is God creates everything. Everything is good. Every day it's good. Then he creates people, and then it's very good. It's very good. He creates marriage, and when he puts these people together, it's very good. But then in chapter 3 of Genesis, you have a snake, you have some fruit, you have the fall, and everything falls apart. And all the brokenness that comes from that is where we get the, you know, the rest of the Bible, the, the cross is necessary because of what happens in chapter three. I'm bringing that up because when I'm going to begin talking about marriage, uh, it's important to note that it was a good thing that God created before anything was broken. It was one of the first things that men and women were brought to because it was good and pure. It was a gift created by God. Genesis 2 talks about this first marriage this way, starting in verse uh, 22. Says, uh, and, and you may know this if you've been around the Bible, uh, that, that Adam went to sleep and God pulled out of his side or out of his rib, um, created a woman, Eve. And so verse 22, in the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. They shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. There was, in this first union, before there was striving, before there was distrust, before there was any kind of argument, there were two people who came together and became one flesh. We're going to look at that phrase here in a moment, that, that, that there's an image of there's nothing that they don't know about each other. The gift of marriage is meant to be two people that come and learn to, to trust each other, to, to find passions, to find dreams, to, to navigate life together. There, there were so many moments early in our marriage that Ashley and I, we didn't know we were, where we were going to live in the next years. Like we lived in Dallas, and there was an opportunity for us to stay in Dallas. I could have uh, been at the church that I was at for, for years and years beyond that, and it was just, what are we going to do? And there was this negotiation negotiation that happens. We sort of figured out that we just feel like the Lord wants us to move here. Um, this idea that these two people became one flesh is this gift given to mankind that, um, that we, would, we would learn each other. I want to fast forward now to 1 Timothy. I'm going to go fast through some of these and slow down on others. 1 Timothy is in the back of your Bible, chapter 4. And it says, you know, keeping with this idea that marriage is a gift. Uh, now we're, we're way into the, uh, you know, the created order at this point. This is New Testament. So people are already broken and people are saying all kind of broken things. But in chapter four, verse one, Paul talks about marriage. He says, now the spirit expressly says 
that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. So this is already kind of dark. There's a time coming where there's going to be some lies said and they're going to guide you away and they're meant to harm you. Well, what are those lies about? Verse 2, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. He's saying there are some things in this world, and he lists marriage and food, which I love both, by the way. Uh, he, he, says, he says there are some people that are going to come along and say, you know what, God, you think that it's a gift. God, it's bad for you. Don't do those things. It's, it's going to lead to your ill. And Paul's argument is why would we take something that God made good and like get all confused by these people with a seared conscience telling us that it is wrong and it is bad for you? Verse 4, he says, he kind of justifies this. He says, for everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. When God gives us a gift, it is meant for us to receive it with thanksgiving. Those of us who are called to marriage, those of us who are in marriage, those of us who are hoping to be married, we should understand it for what it is. It is not a, a completion of another person. It is, it is a gift meant to increase in us worship and increase in us satisfaction, but it is not to, to complete us. There's a, a warning about marriage, and then I'm going to switch to singleness because um, I have a lot more I want to say about that. But in 1 Peter 3, 7, uh, I want to bring up how important uh, is marriage for those who are married. Chapter 3, verse 7 says this. It says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. It is a, a command to, to as, as we fight for marriages, it is a command to um, understand that we are meant to be partners inheriting the same grace of life. The, uh, there, there's no such thing as a, a husband uh, at odds with a wife. That would be like being at odds with yourself because we've become one flesh. So that, this is the warning, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Listen, married people, um, if you are not in the practice of cultivating your marriage, Scripture says that it hinders our prayers. And we want to be in the practice of, 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 of cherishing our spouses, respecting our, our spouses, loving and encouraging and investing in our spouses. And, and one of the benefits of that is that our prayers are, are not hindered. So marriage is a gift. Now, I want to switch gears. Uh, because singleness is somehow like a, uh, people, people are like, singleness is something that needs to be fixed. So many times, especially in the church, it's like, well, you know what you need? You need to get married as fast as possible. But scripture actually has something different than it says about singleness. I, I don't, I don't know how long you've been around the church, but, uh, it turns out that singleness is a blessing. It is a gift as well. Some people are called to a life of singleness. That is not a loss. That is what they are called to. The, the ethics of the New Testament has a lot to say about singleness, but I'm just going to look at one passage quickly, is in Matthew uh, 19. Matthew 19 is uh, Jesus talking. And what's happening in Matthew 19 is uh, they're, they're, Jesus, as tends to be the case, is having people argue with him and they're trying to trip him up. 
And they're like, uh, someone's like, well, listen, what if, what if so-and-so dies and like who they're going to be married to in heaven? And then Jesus answers the, the what was a dumb question with an answer. And then the disciples get really confused and they're like, well, what if, what if like marriage isn't what we're supposed to do? What if we're called to singleness, Jesus? And so Jesus has like a sidebar with his disciples about singleness because in the disciples' minds, they see marriage good and singleness something that needs to be solved. And Jesus corrects their thinking. Singleness is not something that needs to be solved for everyone. Here, here's what he says in verse uh, 10. The disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. Okay, so that's the disciples like, oh, this must be the better thing. Verse 11, but he said to them, Jesus said to them, not everyone can receive this saying. What he's saying is kind of cryptic. And he's saying, not everybody's ready to hear what I'm about to say. Not everyone can receive the saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth. And there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have been themselves uh, made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it. It's a very cryptic statement. He's saying there's a lot of different reasons that people become single. Some people, they become single because they choose to be single. Some people become single because it's better for them and they can serve the kingdom in a specific way. Some people are single because of what happens in this world. They become single. All of them have a place in the kingdom. So just to, just to kind of lay, lay this on the table, um, whether you are married or single, both are meant to be a gift given to you by God. The greatest path, the fastest path to you being dissatisfied with your life and your station in it is to think that the grass is greener on the other side of a fence and to seek it and to go towards it, to chase it. If you're single, chasing marriage for the sake of marriage is going to be very dissatisfying to you, especially if you're trying to get all your online profiles just right. You know, how many times you got to swipe left or right before you find somebody? I don't, I don't know how these things work. Uh, if you are married thinking that the grass is greener is going to be the fastest path to dissatisfaction. If we're going to live in the melody, if we're going to find the melody, we have to live in harmony with the station that we are in and find what the Lord wants to teach us in this moment. Um, more about singleness uh, and marriage is that both of these, uh, uh, they have, they contain within them opportunities that the other one doesn't have. Single people have opportunities that are only available to those who are single, and married people have opportunities that are only available to those who are married. First Corinthians 7 is a great passage on just all kinds of marriage ethic and family ethic, what, what's going on with kids. We'll talk about kids next week, uh, so stay tuned, parents. You want to bring your kids for that. Uh, it's a lot of obey your parents, kids, just to let you know, okay? Uh, but but uh, all, of, all of these family ethics are around 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 7, uh, he's, he's talking about singleness, and, and he's correcting that thinking that I was just mentioning earlier, which is, you know, so many people, especially in the church, think of singleness as something that needs to be solved. And he's like, no, you guys have it wrong. You don't, you don't understand, like, the opportunity that is in that. He says uh, in chapter 7, verse 32, he says, I want you to be free from anxieties. Anybody else? Like, uh, yes, I would love to be free of anxieties. I've been, I've been all twisted up about this topic for a while now, Jesse. I, I, I need to be free. He says, I want you to be free from anxieties. Here's what he says. He says, the unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. 
And uh, the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about the worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Here's, Here's what he says about singlehood. It's like this rush towards marriage, you're missing the freedom to pursue the Lord in independence right now. So, Ashley and I, we were uh, engaged uh, and, and together five years before we were married. So in total, we weren't engaged for five years, but in total, in, in those five years before being married, there are moments where I would get a phone call. I'm a, I'm a youth pastor at the time. I get a phone call and it's just like, it's in the middle of the night. It's an emergency. I, uh, there was this one moment where this 16-year-old girl calls me. She's crying and she says, he's about to get me. He's about to get me. Come quick. And then just hangs up. I'm like, I don't even know where to go. Uh, what do I do? And as a single man, I didn't, I didn't have to think about like, well, who's taking care of my kids? Who's taking care of my, we didn't have any of that. I could just get up and go. Um, if someone were to call me as a single person, like, Hey, there's this mission trip coming up. I don't have to think about like, okay, well, who's taking care of my family? And is this the right time? And do we have any family trips? Because in singleness, there is, there's immediate freedom to go and pursue the things that the Lord is calling you to. So what Paul does right here is like, he just sort of corrects their thinking. Like, don't you know how much freedom you have when you're single to obey the Lord and to chase after his things? Now, now marriage also has opportunities that are unique to marriage. Ephesians 5, uh, 31, as I want to turn to you quickly. Another, uh, at the end of Ephesians, has a whole lot of family ethic things we can, we can look at. Uh, again, all the parenting stuff is in there as well. But uh, chapter 5, uh, verse 31 says this. So he quotes, he quotes Genesis at the beginning. He says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. He's like, you know, we, I'm going to base this on what happened at the very first marriage. And he says, this is mystery is profound. He's like, the, the ways that we unpack that is, is bigger than what we can do right now. It's a mystery. And he says, I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that re- she respects her husband. And so just as singleness created these opportunities to pursue the Lord, he's saying that marriage creates this opportunity to proclaim things about God's nature that nobody else gets the chance to proclaim. That marriage is meant to be a sermon of how the Christ, how the Christ, how, yeah, that works, how the Christ loves the church, how Jesus pursues us. Our marriage, the, the way that we nurture, the way that it is projected in the world should be an example of God's love for his church and his people. That is the goal in all this. So singleness creates these opportunities and marriage creates these opportunities. The last thing I want to bring up is that if we're going to talk about relationships, is uh, let's talk about sex, is that sex is a gift meant for the context of marriage. Uh, the Bible uses romantic love and it talks about it a lot as a fire. Um, I don't know if you know this, but right now we're in a burn ban, right? In Jefferson County. Uh, my yard is crunchy right now. I walked in my yard barefoot. I felt like I was walking on rusty nails. It was so bad. I could, I could bale hay, uh, dry, dead, non-nutritious hay in, in my backyard right now. But I have this pile of brush that I'm supposed to burn. And 
today, uh, I would love to burn it. I would love to get this pile of brush and these limbs and these sticks out of my yard. But I'm telling you right now, if I set this little pile of brush on fire, it is not the right time and it is going to burn down my entire neighborhood probably. Uh, this is being recorded, so let it be known. I am not burning anything today uh, and I will respect the laws of, of the burn ban. Fire is good. Keeps us warm, it gives us energy, and it disposes of all my tree limbs. Fire at the wrong time and in the wrong place is bad and disastrous. And scripture talks about sex and romance as like a fire. It's good when it's good and disastrous when it's disastrous. Um, real quick, Song of Solomon uh, is a little book. I'm going to look at the screens. Uh, is a story of a man and a woman learning to fall in love. It is so, uh, uh, from beginning to end, it's like a memoir of meeting each other to liking each other and thinking each other's cute. Uh, then pursuing each other, then being married. It is, it is from beginning to end the entire scope of marriage and romance. It is so uh, uh, detailed. It's a poem. It's beautiful. But, but if you were Jewish, you're not allowed to even open this book of the Bible until you're 13 years old. It's kind of one of the things about it. So it talks about this. And at the end of Song of Solomon, chapter 8 is the very end of it. At the end of it, they're as like a married couple giving advice to young people. This is really good. If you're a young person in here, uh, that is under 25. And, and definitely if you're single, this is really good advice from like the wisdom of scripture. Uh, the, the, the wife in the relationship says, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. It's this warning that love, marriage, sex is beautiful in the context of marriage, but don't awaken it before it's time. Go to verse six, please. So set me as a seal upon your heart, as I seal upon your arm, for love is strong as death. Jealousy is fierce as the grave. It's flashes or flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Verse 7, many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. He's saying, look, it's good when it's good. Put it in its right place. For the sake of time, um, I'll, I'll skip these next passages, but 1 Corinthians 6 uh, discusses sex within a marriage as a gift of a husband to a wife and a wife to a husband. It's meant to be a gift given to each other to experience uh, romance and love and passion. That's, that's what it's there for, um, but in the proper context. So here's, here's where I kind of want to land the plane with us today. Um, I, I went over a lot of scriptures to make a lot of different points. And some of them hit in different ways depending on your station in life. If you're, if you're married, there, there's a thousand different qualities of marriage. If you're single, there's a thousand different ways and qualities of being single. And I just want you to know that you are a, an individual person, a whole person meant to pursue the Lord with or without being married or single. We make the mistake of thinking when we're single, all I need is a spouse and they're going to fix me. Listen to me, married people, your husband, your wife is not your Christ. They are not your Jesus. Your character and your growth in the Lord as an independent person is what your spouse needs. If you are uh, uh, single uh, and, and you're just thinking right now, I just need to get married as quick as possible because my life is a wreck. I need someone, listen to me, you're not going to be the healthiest spouse you can be if your plan is to wait for someone to fix you. 
Your future spouse, if you're single, if you're looking to be married one day, your future spouse uh, needs you to be a man or a woman who is growing in the Lord, who is, 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 is trying and it has a, a vibrant relationship with him so that when you're married, they're not trying to be your Christ. If you are divorced or widowed, you are in a season of singleness, a season of life that gives you a glimpse of different pains and different struggles than others can. And the church, listen to me, the church needs to hear from you. The days where like, we just kind of keep our private lives private, it, it has a place, but l- there are people who need to hear your story of the Lord coming through after the funeral, the Lord coming through after the divorce. Because we have people here that need to know that God is good in every season, that he's faithful in every season. Charles Spurgeon, he says this about our character. He says, take care of your character at home. There, he's talking about the house and your family. He says, take care of your character there. For what we are there, we really are. If you're incomplete before your marriage, your marriage isn't going to complete you. If you are incomplete in your marriage, the divorce doesn't complete you. We must work on our character. Whatever we do, we should do for the glory of Christ. Colossians 3 says this. Colossians is another one of those books that it ends with a lot of family ethic and it says this at the end, uh, right before it gets to the husbands and wives and all that, it's just sort of a, uh, an opening clause. Uh, chapter 3, verse 12, it says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. This is how relationships work. As the Lord has forgiven you, how should we forgive each other? Just as the Lord has forgiven us, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. There's that word. I should have used this verse at the beginning of the series. What's going to bind? Where are we going to find the melody? Love is going to be the glue that binds us in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You know what the Lord really thinks about marriage and singleness? They have their opportunities, but you are meant to be content in whatever station of life you're in right now. You are meant to have a heart that is, is, is content and satisfied with who you are in the Lord. Your pursuit should be in finding contentment and peace with your Christ. If you find contentment and peace with your Christ, then whatever season you are in, whatever, whatever uh, station of marriage or singleness you find yourself in, you can find harmony because you can find the Lord in that. What I want to close with is uh, just kind of a, as a meditation is that whether you're married, widowed, singled, or divorced, whatever, whatever version of this you are in, you are in a unique position to live in harmony with God today. You can worship him today. You can share your struggles with others today. You can, you can pursue him. You can show him. And, and listen to me. If you are not content, 
If there's something just aching in your heart, the instruction of this is to ask curious questions of God. Why, why God, why am I feeling this way? Why am I feeling so dissatisfied? Why do I miss him so much? I have a friend of mine in Dallas. He, he was married for 60 years or something, and he lost his wife about two years ago. Before she passed, I never saw him on Facebook. He was just, he didn't care about it. Every week he's posting pictures of his wife and he misses her so much as a widower. He, he misses her. And if, and, and he's a godly man. I, I, I don't, I haven't talked to him recently, but if I could, I would just like that, that is a gift that you had a life so long to, to, to cherish her as much as that. And when, when he writes about her, he writes about the day in which he will see his bride again because he has a hope that is in Christ. When, when you find in yourself seasons of discontentment in your marriage life or in your single life or whatever station it is, I would encourage you to ask curious questions of the Lord and say, reveal in me, Lord, reveal in me what is it in my heart that is leading me to, to that and then have the willingness to just sit and listen with him. We make a mistake when we rush to solutions without seeking him. Um, I want to pray for you. Uh, yeah, I want to pray for you. Father, um, God, we, we, we come to you after opening your word and, and hoping to catch a glimpse of your heart for marriage and singleness. Lord, we, we thank you that you've created uh, a life where we can be in relationship with others, um, whether that is through friendship or romance or marriage. Um, Lord, uh, I pray that in whatever season we find ourselves in, we learn to worship you. We learn to live in harmony with you. And uh, Father, I pray for those of us in this room that uh, are are trying to seek you, that you you would make yourself known, that that as as we seek you, we would see glimpses of where you're calling us to be. Uh, I pray peace in the name of Jesus over every man and woman in this room, uh, over their relationships, and that you would... Uh, uh, you, you would teach us how to worship you in every season we find ourselves in. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.